Welcome to episode 254 of Crack the Customer Code, where Adam and Jeannie help you find your organization's true north. As leaders, we face choices each and every day. And our guest today, Rafi Romanella, believes it's not just the decision of what choice, but how we make the choice that shows the measure of a great leader. Yep, Rocky moved up the ranks at UPS, and he started part-time after high school and then worked his way through college. And those experiences led to understanding why balance is so important, both personally and professionally, and I think technically on the trucks, too. I think they need to be balanced, right? This is important. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, but That's Rocky right. has a lot of wisdom to share. And I think his point, about, your point about the trucks is valid because, of course, the name of his book is Tighten the Lug Nuts, and we talk a little bit about why that title is there, and Rocky is just a fun person to talk to, so I think everybody's going to get a lot out of this, so let's get right Alrighty. to it. Alrighty, Rocky Romanella is an experienced executive CEO and director, keynote speaker, trainer, and advisor, founder, and principal of 360 Management Services, LLC. He most recently served as Chief Executive Officer and Director for Unitech Global Services after retiring from a 36-year career with UPS, the largest shipment and logistics company in the world. Rocky successfully launched one of the largest rebranding initiatives in franchising history, the UPS Store, which revolutionized the $9 billion retail shipping and business services market. In addition to leading the global strategy of all U.S. and international retail channels, he was an integral part of the integration of many acquisitions, which became UPS Supply Chain Solutions with responsibilities across the globe and which also led UPS's entry into the healthcare industry as part of their supply chain and logistics strategy. Rocky, how are you? Very good, Adam. It's great to be on the show with uh, you and Jeannie. Well, we are thrilled to have you here, and I think you are our first guest named Rocky, so what? that's special. Oh, thank you very much. We've got to get the music in behind you. Dun, dun, dun. I know we do, uh, although we don't have the rights to it. So. That's true. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, well, we're so excited to have you on here, and I think everybody's going to learn so many different things, but one of the things that I was pretty fascinated by was how you titled your book. It's Tighten the lug nuts. And of course, the subtitle is called The Principles of Balanced Leadership. And when you look at those two things, they might not jive. You know, like what does tightening the lug nuts have to do with balanced leadership? So can you tell us a little bit about where that title comes from and and you know your purpose with this book? Sure, absolutely. So those are two important concepts inside the book named uh, appropriately Tighten the Lug Nuts. And the first one we'll talk about is this concept of tightening the lug nuts. When lug nuts are loose, they're important. But if you don't tighten the lug nuts and you travel down the road and the wheel falls off, now those important things become urgent. And so in life and in in business, the goal is to take care of important things before they become urgent because you can only handle so many urgent things. So, and that's one of the problems is that, in, you know, when you look at management teams, they get overwhelmed just because they had loose lug nuts. They should have tightened them when they were important. They didn't. Now they became urgent. And the concept of balanced leadership is this concept of balance. In everything you do, both in your personal life and your professional life, balance is so important. And I believe there are three key constituents when you look at your leadership and you look at your business and and those three key constituents are customers, people, and stakeholders or share owners if you're a publicly traded company. And you wanna make sure that you're in balance when you're making decisions. And I often say you think like a customer, 
you have your people feel like valued individuals and you act like an owner. And so those are really two key concepts inside the book, Tighten the Lug Nuts. And the book was written, it's really a leadership book, and it's more than leadership in a business setting. It's it's leadership in in your personal and professional, you know, in your personal and professional life. And because I believe leadership is something that we all have concerns about. And leadership is a concept that's not just reserved for it only applies to certain people in business, government, or civic organizations. I mean, the reality is, is that no matter our age, gender, occupation, educational level, or what we're working on in this particular point in our life, each of us touches an influence in other lives. And you think about teachers. I mean, what a great group of people, how they mentor and, and they touch people. And all of us, if you ask that question, you know, who is that teacher that really made a difference in your life? All of us stop for a second and can think of that teacher's name. Mm-hmm. And so through that extension, they're leaders. And so I think that the book was writ- written with the thought of leadership being such an important concept. And then, of course, this concept of tightening, your lo- tightening the lug nuts and balanced leadership are two you know, important parts of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And you know, what's interesting, I always find a sort of interesting thread with leadership, which is the leaders that are still in touch with where they came from and their roots. And you and I have a little bit of a similar background. I know you, you were at UPS and you didn't just lead there. You started off loading trucks and I grew up in a warehouse. So we were always waiting on the UPS driver every day for the, you know, the, the evening shipment, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, a, you know, I was fortunate. I started at UPS right out of high school. A good friend of mine, Mike Coffey, got the first job there, came back and said, hey, UPS is hiring. And my dad had said, uh, hey, one of my kids is going to college. He looked at me and said, you're the oldest, but we have no money. So we figure out a way to get this done. So UPS <laughs> was, was a part-time job. And so I went to St. John's University. I went to the Staten Island campus, which is a commuter co- college. And so I was able to work my way through uh, through college and had a part-time job at UPS to four years. And it was just a wonderful opportunity for me to grow and develop. And I became a part-time supervisor. And then UPS had a promotion from within policy, which I was the recipient of. And so I made some extra cash, paid my way through school, and then uh, rose through the ranks at UPS and spent 36 years there. Wow, that is a yeah, that's a great success story, and it's great to see a, a success story that's with one company like that because that's uh, increasingly more rare. But let's go back to that first early part of the career, and you're loading the trucks, and you're in you're in that world. What did you learn about leadership then? Well, it's interesting because I started out, you know, my dad when I got the job at UPS told me two things that have stuck with me and have become. Pro- the core of my of my leadership and really kind of helped me through those early days at UPS. And so I get the job, you know, I went go through the interview process, sat down with my dad, and uh, he, he says to me, hey, tell me about this job at UPS. So I tell him about the job, and then he says to me, hey, whatever they ask you to do, say yes, and then say thank you. All <laughs> right, all right. And then he said to me one other thing before I left. He said to me, hey, learn your job and then learn some more. Because the day you think you know everything is the day you really don't know much at all. And so, okay, dad, I got it. And so as I worked my way inside of UPS, no matter what job they gave me, I looked around and said, okay, who's the person here that knows the most? I got to know more than them, right? I got to know what my dad said, you know, learn your job and learn some more. And then as I was moving throughout my career at UPS and someone would say to me, hey, we got an opportunity for you in Chicago. We have an opportunity for you in Syracuse or New York or the many places I moved. We moved uh, across the country with the family. Uh, you know, people would say, why, you know, did, why'd you take those jobs? Well, they, my dad always said to me, whatever they ask you to do, say yes, and then say thank you. So 
they'd say, hey, we got a job for you in Chicago. Okay, thanks. Yeah, thanks. And I would think to myself, <laughs> I, I remember asking my manager, are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, come on, really? <laughs> Gotta be, gotta be somebody smarter than me to do this. No, no, nah, nah, you're the right person for the job. And I think that was another important uh, concept that comes out in the book. And and it's a concept that helped me throughout my career. And I think great leaders have this skill. You have to believe in your people until they're ready to believe in themselves. And so UPS saw more in Rocky Romanello than Rocky Romanello saw myself in those early days. And then as I became a leader, I remember that example and said, well, you know, I see a person with high potential, a person that, you know, I think can do more for our organization, but they may not be ready yet or they may not have the confidence yet. And so you have to give them that confidence through your coaching, through your mentoring and through your conversations with them. And then when they're ready to believe in themselves, you kind of let them go and you run and you, you, give them their, you give them the authority that goes with their responsibility. So those were some early lessons that I learned as a part-timer that, you know, from my dad that I translated into, you know, my professional life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's funny because we were, my sister was just in town and we were chatting about how there were certain things that we just never thought were optional that other people think are <laughs> optional, like having a job over the summer. Like that was just not, you couldn't just be like, nah, I'm not going to get a job. You know, <laughs> like that was just right. not even an option. Uh, and so it's funny because you know, she has children who are college age now. And she was saying, yeah, they act like it's an option. I keep telling them, I don't think you understand. <laughs> like, this is not an option at this point. Oh, I know. But it's it's I, great. It, it's great. A great lesson to know that, you know, saying thank you and saying yes to opportunity can really lead to all these amazing things. And if you don't know that, it's easy to just get scared off, I think. So it's cool to hear you say that. Um, and one of the things that you also talk about in your in your book and when you're discussing, you know, what you think are the the values of great leaders, just like your dad, which you discuss. And one of the things that you talk about is a laser focus on customer needs. And that really stood out to me because, you know, our modern world is chaotic and it's demanding and there's usually too much to do and not enough hours to do it. So what do you recommend for those listeners right now who want to achieve this type of focus in their organizations, but, you know, feel kind of overwhelming? Well, I think there, it really starts with you as the leader. And I think many times the confusion starts with the leader or the organization, because I always start with the first question, who's the customer? Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing how many times you'll have that conversation and people will look at you like, well, what do you mean? Who's the customer? You know, I'll give an example. You know, we were doing a healthcare solution inside when I was inside the UPS supply chain side and you asked the customer, you asked the question, who's the customer? And a third of the people said, well, it's the patient. Well, then a third of the people said, no, 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 no. It's a distributor like CVS or Walgreens or Rite Aid or someone like that. And then a third of the people said, well, no, not really. It's, isn't it the doctor's? Well, it's really hard to, you know, create a solution and really laser focus on customer service if you really don't know who the customer really is. So I think it really starts with the first question of who's the customer. And then I think you move to, well, what are we solving for? You know, and then I think you move to the next question, what won't we compromise? And I think that's so important when you think about companies that get themselves in trouble, you know, think about all the stuff you read in the news today. It's, you know, that question of what we won't compromise has to be clearly defined. Like who are we, what we stand for, but what won't, we, what won't we compromise as an organization? And I think that's so true when you're dealing with their customers. What are the things that we won't compromise? You know, integrity, service, mm -hmm. you know, the ethical things that we do or not do that are so important. And then I think you have to understand what your boundaries are. You know, customers are always 
pushing you to, you know, what they call near neighbor. Well, if you do this, can't you do this, this, and this? And while you try, you know, you're trying to be that solution provider and try to, you know, touch, have many touch points with your customers, it, you know, the biggest thing you have to know is what you don't know. That's our boundaries. That's really not what we do well. It's best for me to tell the customer, point that customer in a direction that gets them the better service. And even though you may be moving away from revenue or potential work, if you're not prepared to do it, you're better off saying to your customer, I'd love to be able to do this with you. I can do 80% of this solution, but this last 20% really belongs in the hands of the expert that needs to do that. So you have to know your boundaries. I think many times when I'm at a customer visit, you know, the last question I always ask the customer is, what keeps you up awake at night? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. You you believe you know what keeps them up awake at night, but but the answers you get from your customers are, are are always a little bit different on what keeps them up awake at night. So knowing what keeps your customer awake awake at night helps you create a better solution for them and keeps you focused on what their what their needs are. And then by knowing those things, you know who your customer is, what you're solving for, what you won't compromise, you begin to create better metrics, metrics that really will will, will provide that laser focus. The results that the that the customer really needs, it, so that it, you know it separates them from their competitors. In my example before, who the customer was in that healthcare example. Well, if you're solving for a patient, you know, let's just say you're solving, for example, to CVS or Rite Aid or one of one of the distributors. Well, being 99% on time with delivery performance is pretty good. But if you're solving for the patient, you don't want to be that one patient that didn't get their didn't get their drugs. So 100 percent is the only good metric. So by knowing who the customer is, you create the right metrics, the right the right KPIs, you know, to hold yourself accountable to performing on their um, on their behalf as best you can. And then finally, what does good look like? You know, when you're creating a solution and you're talking about your customers or thinking about your co- what does good look like? And so if 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 you kind of create that vision of perfection, then you know what good looks like. Then you can articulate that to your whole organization. So. Mm, I like that. I like the simplicity of the questions because that helps with the focus on those days when everything's going haywire. <laughs> yeah, what you know, because you, sometimes you take a step back and say, "Well, well, what what did we say was going to happen? What do you, yeah. <laughs> what was our expectation here?" You know, and then you find out, well, "Well, we actually got it. Maybe it may not have been the result we wanted, but we really got what 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 we planned for without realizing that was part of the plan." So you almost right. have to always take that step back. Yeah. <laughs> And that's great. You know, that's a perfect segue. Uh, Jeannie mentioned things going haywire. And one of the things you <laughs> mentioned, of course, no comment on that. We're just going to leave that. Yeah. There. But, <laughs> yeah. but one of the things you mentioned is that as a thoughtful leader, it's vital to make sure you don't let the highs get too high or the lows get too low. So tell us some more about that idea. Well, you know, that, that also reinforces that whole concept of balance, right? You, you really, student body left, student body right, swinging left to right, extremes are never good when you're managing organizations or, or even in your own personal life. And so you're going to get really good news. And so you don't want to be out there, you know, spiking the ball and, and dancing like you've never been there before. And then you're going to get some bad news. And so if you're the person that runs around, oh, it's a miserable day, I can't believe this happened. The leaders need to be consistent and they need, and people, you know, there's another great book out there. This is probably crazy, but I, I love his book and I talk to him all the time. Dennis Snow, it's, it's called Lessons from the Mouse. And, and he, he talks about this concept of everything speaks and, and everything you do speaks. And as the leader, 
everything you do speaks. People watch everything you do. And so if you can if you can maintain that balance and not let your highs get too lows and your lows get too lows, you really start to give people the opportunity to follow you, right? They want to follow you because you're that leader with consistency. You know, if you think about it, there's three types of people in every organization or in life that we come upon, right? There's the early adopters. They can't wait to, you know, you, you give them a thought or idea. They can't wait to get it going and, and they're ready to go. And then there's the, you know, 10 or 20% of the people, no matter what you do, they're never going to be happy, right? You gave them a million dollars. They say to you, sure, you gave me a million dollars. You know, I got to pay taxes on it, right? So they're never going to be happy. <laughs> then you got those... Then you got those people in the middle, right? And you're hoping to move them towards the early adopters. Well, if you think about it, if you let your highs get too high or your lows get too lows or you're, you're, you're out of balance, if you keep swinging all the time, all you're doing is making the, the early adopters become like pinballs because they're trying to please mm. you. New thing today, they're running out doing it. So, the, And then the people in the middle, and this, this is a comment I'm sure we've all heard, yeah, just wait. He's going to change his mind again tomorrow. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he just waits. Yeah, nothing gets done then. So you really want to stay consistent and not allow your highs to get too high and your lows get too lows. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that a lot because my kids kind of laugh at me, but I it drives me crazy. Like when the football player acts like he's already won before he gets to the end zone. <laughs> like, yeah, right. It drives me crazy. And they always say, oh, that guy's hot dog and mom doesn't like the hot dog. <laughs> I'm like, no, just win first. Then you can celebrate. Uh, <laughs> how about when but, they're hot dogging? How about when they're hot dogging and they're losing 28 to three and they're yeah, hot dogging? Hey, I know. Got, yeah. What is that about? <laughs> well, I think it, I, I think a lot of what you discuss in the book and what we talk about here too, is really about empowerment of people as well. And we really have discussed how it's critical to have empowered people to deliver a great experience. And you make a case that people are truly empowered when they tighten their own lug nuts. <laughs> it's such a great phrase. So what are some examples of how employees can do this? Well, I think the, the the second way you know they're empowered is they discipline themselves. And so what ends up happening is they're walking into you and saying, hey, this didn't go the way I thought it would go. I wanted it to go, but here's my solution. That's how you know they're empowered, right? So you don't need to pile on at that point. It's the old example of the you know the goalie that lets the puck in and the, the coach says, here's a lifesaver, right? You know, gives him the lifesaver. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because he knows the kid's already upset that the puck went in. But if the, but if the goalie says, hey, the defense is terrible. Nobody did their job. What do you expect from me back here? Well, now you know he's not empowered and he's blaming everybody else and he's not accepting ownership. And so that's where a different conversation has to happen. So for me, I always look to see, do, do, do my people take ownership? Do they understand what we're trying to accomplish? Did I build that bridge to the future? Was I, through my communication, did I give everyone a sense of, of where we're trying to go, how we're trying to get there, and why we're trying to get there. And that's why I think this concept of balanced leadership is so important. You know, we talk about thinking like a customer, feeling like a valued individual, and acting like an owner. The customer and the ownership piece are generally ones that that people have a good – can do well with. So for example, you know, we're going to build a new product. Everybody gets all excited. We understand what the product's going to be. And, you know, we we tested it. We we – we went out and did market tests. We talked to customers. That's good. Well, when you're talking about the product, the CFO is sitting there banging on a calculator. Right? Ah, we can make money in this. This is good. We got good margin. Oh, this is a great product. But we always forget our, our people. Someone's got to discuss this with our people. And that's the empowerment part. This is why we're building the, the product. This is what the product's supposed to do. This is what help I need from you. Just 
you know, conveyingness to the customer. If, if there is a service disconnect, this is how we solve that service disconnect. We do the first two parts really well. We, we build a good product. We market the product. You know, we do a good job of understanding the analytics to make money. But we miss that part about our people and empowering them and giving them to understand of what we're trying to accomplish, why it's important for our organization. And more importantly, what role do they play in the success of this product? And once they know those things, then they start to own it. And now that now they're empowered, now they discipline themselves. Hey, mm-hmm. this is what we we're supposed to happen, but it didn't. But here's my answer. You know, people always walk in my would walk in my office and say, Hey, this is what, you know, hey, this is the problem. I used to always tell people, I don't need news news reporters. I need news makers. <laughs> yeah. I love that. There's a lot of people reporting the news to me. I need news makers. I mean, I don't need news reporters. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's I, so true. Uh, Rocky, just for the record, uh, let it reflect that it's being recorded. I will be stealing that. Oh, you can use it anytime. <laughs> hey, that's the best part of the book. All the stories in a book, I tell people all the time, use them. Use any story you want in the book. That's what the mm-hmm. book's all about. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And this that's is great. a good time because this, this has been a great conversation. And I think, uh, why don't you just let our audience know uh, where they can find you, where they can find the book, and anything else you would want them to know to connect with you? Well, the we have a website. It's www the number three and the word 60 management services.com, which by the way, for anyone out there listening, if you're going to create a domain, it always sounds really cool until you create it and it's way too long. So yeah. How's the so, 360 working for you? Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, I should have just had the number three, the, the, the three numbers, three, six, zero, but I ended up with the number three and the word 60 management services.com. And then uh, of course we're on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, actually, my sister just told me we're on Pinterest, for, uh, which is really cool, you know, and I think that's really nice. So uh, for me, the book, you know, I, if I have a just quick moment for you, you know, we got Mother's Day and Father's Day coming up. And, and the book was written really in, in a grateful respect to my dad, who was such a great influence on um, me growing up and along with my mom and my wife, Debbie, who's been such a great partner, friend, supporter throughout my adult life and my career. And so both of those are, you know, such influential people in my life. And so, you know, I got a call the other day from a few friends of mine that are like, hey, man, these are great Mother's Day Father's Day. I'm getting this for my father because, you know, what? I thought about after reading your book, I had a really good relationship with my dad. I just never realized it. I got him this for Father's Day. And another friend of mine called me up and said she's getting it. he's getting it for his mom. So, for you know, look, you write a book for business and hoping that you can make a difference and, and maybe something in that book could help someone be more successful. But but the fact that someone would call you know, read your book, pick up their phone and call their mom or dad or, you know, or if their dad or mom has passed and say, hey, I talked, I thought about my dad and thought about the things, you know, we did and talked about and how so much of what I do today, I didn't realize it is a lot, a lot of the things that he or she taught me. Boy, that, that's the most rewarding part of, uh, of writing this book. So it's sort of been the uh, unintended consequence that uh, has been the most exciting part of the book. So the book's a great read, but it's a great read when you're thinking about your parents. So I think that's pretty neat with Mother's Day and Father's Day coming up. You can buy it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, online. It's print on demand. You get it within a couple of days. So it's, uh, you, can get it as a, you can get it for this weekend for Mother's Day and certainly for Father's Day coming up. All right, all you mothers and uh, daughters and sons across the land. <laughs> yeah. You have a new gift you can put in the gift wrapping. Well, thank you so much, Rocky. Really <laughs> appreciate it. And um, best of luck with the book. Yeah. Oh, thank you thank- very much. Thank you. Thank you Thank very you much. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation and a great read. So congratulations on the book. And we'll, 
we'll definitely be tightening the lug nuts around here. Ah, well, thank you very much. Yes, yes, there you go. Take care, Excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, both of you. It's so true. And I think we're all guilty of this. And so it's really important to hear that message again and again to remind us to take that moment to tighten things up, make sure it's balanced. And applying that to customer experience is absolutely vital. And yet a lot of leaders only act when there is a crisis. So I thought it was a great reminder for Proactive, all of us. Proactive, Jeannie. We're just going to leave it with that. There Boom. it is. <laughs> all right. Well, we're sure you had some great takeaways from this discussion with Rocky too. So please let us know by tweeting us, uh, facegramming us, insta-chatting us, whatever it is you'd like to do, do it and we will be there. Yeah. You're all about Snapchat, <laughs> exactly. right, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> well, we so appreciate you being here. So thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code, a proud member of the C-Suite Radio family. If you like C-Suite Radio, then check out C-Suite TV and watch in-depth interviews with business content for C-Suite leaders and entrepreneurs. It's all on demand, so get insider secrets by going to csuitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience investigation consulting at 360connect.com. And I'm Adam Deporek, and you can learn more about me and our customer service workshops and training at customersatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. Take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.